Good morning, everyone. So uh, I'm not wearing running shoes, but my wife is two days overdue. <laughs> so I was told this morning that uh, I was a very uh, uh, courageous and, and bold man for, you know, signing up to, to preach two days after my wife was expecting. And, a, and the look in his eye told me that probably he meant something different than brave. But here I am nonetheless. And, uh, and so, um, Lord's good. Steph's, uh, uh, doing well. She's at home, not, not because of her, but because, uh, the baby's, uh, Eva Claire's got a fever and whatnot. So anyway, uh, everything is fine on that front, but here I am and, uh, excited about what God has for us today from his word. And so, um, open up to, uh, James chapter two, if you would, we have been working through the book of James for a couple of weeks and so several weeks now. And um, we're going we're gonna to finish up chapter 2 today. We started chapter 2 last week. We're going to knock it out, uh, the remainder of it, this week. And so we are going to do James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, that's page uh, 1012. And so if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can go ahead and take that one and use that as your own, uh, page 1012, that is. So we are in uh, James chapter 2, and I'm going to read for us. Verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body... What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is reliable. It is a guide for us. It is a lamp for us to show us the way. It tells us about you and about us and about how we can know you. And so as we come to your word this morning, we come in submission. We come in submission to you. 
in submission to your word. We don't want to be those who are um, slow to hear your word, but quick to talk over it and quick to get angry at it. We want to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And so as we come to your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to hear from you what you would have for us today. Speak to us by your word. Help us to be attentive. Help us to listen for what you have for us. Help us to forget what has gone before and what comes after in our days and our weeks. Help us to be all here sitting at your feet, listening to you for what you might have for us. Pray for your blessing on our group. I pray that we would be able to hear from you this day, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you would be lifted up. Guide me, speak through me, and speak to us all. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever uh, had the privilege of leading someone to Christ? It's, uh, it's exciting. It's very exciting. And it's a big part of what we have been called to do as Christians, right? We are to go and make disciples of all nations. That's spoken to us, and that's to be what we're doing. And so when we go and do that, when we make a disciple, when we lead someone to Christ, when we see someone come to know him, it's very exciting. And it's us fulfilling what God has called us to do, right? And, uh, and it's fun. And if, if you can think back to someone you led to Christ, or maybe, maybe you saw someone who, uh, who uh, became a Christian and you were there for, uh, for their growing when they were first growing and maturing, and it's, it's an exciting time. It's, it's very exciting to see that and, and uh, kind of makes you, um, I don't know, it makes you excited to, to, to see them again and to hear what God is doing in their lives. And it even turns you on in your own life to go and, and want to share the gospel with others that maybe God would bring someone else to himself, that someone else would become a Christian, and you'd get to see that and par- participate in that again. It's part of what we were designed to do. And when we function the way God has designed us, we are pleased, we are happy, we are fulfilled, we are doing what God has called us to do. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. But if you, if you think back to that person, maybe you led to Christ or someone you saw become a Christian and, and they start to grow and they start to mature maybe over the days and weeks and, and months following their, their conversion, you see that they kind of go through a process, right? Where they learn new things and all of a sudden this new thing is exciting to them and then the, another new thing is very exciting to them and, and, um, and there's a, there's a point where they, they really start to understand, uh, verses like Romans 3.28 that says this, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And when they get a hold of that, watch out. Because they have come to really understand that their salvation, their being acceptable to God, was not because of something they did, not because of something they earned, but it was a gift of God. That their justification, their salvation is because of what God has done in their lives, not because of some work that they did. They're starting to get a grip on the gospel, and it is exciting, and it is fun to see. And sometimes, that's all they focus on. And they begin to get the impression, they begin to give the impression that God really doesn't care about what kind of life you lead as long as you believe in Him. Right? They start to distinguish between works and faith 
in a, in a way that the Bible really doesn't. And so they can kind of focus in on this one thing and start getting the wrong impression and start giving the wrong impression. I remember conversations when I was a new believer on this topic, and I was really trying to understand as I was being discipled and growing in my faith and didn't know much. But one of the things I knew was Romans 3.28, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so I ran with that, and I tried to, I tried to break that down in my mind and understand that. And when I was talking with friends of mine and, and uh, trying to distinguish between salvation by works and salvation by faith, Right. I started getting the impression that really the the works part, that's kind of if you really want to. Right. Obedience to God is kind of if you want to. It's a maybe maybe that's something that really, you know, kind of super Christians do or whatever. But the heart of the Christian life is faith, just faith. Right. And it doesn't have to do with my obedience to God. And so you can see that there's some truth in there and there's there are some things in there that aren't true. Right. And so that brings us. Uh, a little bit to our passage today, right? Where uh, James, speaking in our, our passage right here, he's dealing with the question, okay, what if someone's self-professed faith is not backed up by lifestyle? What if their self-professed faith doesn't have the works to go along with it? Did what then? How do we understand that? What are we to do? And so we have our passage here today, which is uh, verses 14 through 26, and he's dealing with exactly that topic. He's going to answer that question, right? You can see there in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And so in that verse, with that question, he's, he's setting the topic for what is going to be the remainder of this discussion for our time today. And so for our topic, for our discussion of it, I want to deal with some, I want to define some terms. I want to lay some conceptual groundwork before we dive into the passage itself and start digging through it and seeing how James answers that question. And so I want to look at the concepts of faith and works alone, apart from one another, right? We want to talk about those topics. And so he starts off there. In, uh, you'll see a comment that he makes there in verse 17 when he's talking about faith alone. Verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have deeds or works, is dead. Faith by itself. And so I want to lay that conceptual groundwork for looking at the remainder of the passage that he's talking about a faith all by itself, existing in a vacuum with no works attached to it. It's over here. It's on its own. It's separate. And so when we think about faith in this passage, especially the faith that he's going to say several times is dead, is worthless, is useless, etc. That's what he's talking about is this kind of a faith that is a faith all by itself that hasn't led to anything else, hasn't developed in, into anything else. It's a faith all by itself. It's a belief that hasn't led to change in lifestyle. So he's, he's talking about faith alone. Okay. He wants to isolate it that way. But he also says in verse 18, for example, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Right. So he's also talking about this topic of faith being separated from works. So you got works over here and you got faith over here. 
Okay? So these things separated from one another are part of what's, what he's talking about here. You have faith and I have works, this person says in verse 18. This is an objection. This is someone else speaking into the context, making this comment. And uh, it seems like they are under the impression that you can either have faith or you could have works as if they're two separate entities. They're two separate concepts and you can have one or the other. Maybe maybe they're two separate ingredients. They're alternatives to one another. And it's legitimate to have pure faith and it's legitimate to have just works. That's a weird kind of objection that's raised there in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So this person is trying to tear them apart and deal with them that way. And so he's talking about um, that kind of an odd sort of a setup, right? The question is, if these alternatives, if they are alternatives and if they can be separated from one another, how is the person who has the faith part able to demonstrate that they have the faith? How could they even prove it? How could they show you that they have the faith? They could tell you that they have the faith, but in a vacuum, there's no way to demonstrate it. There's no way to prove it, right? And so you have what James says, his argument, his response, in the second half of verse 18, he says, okay, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Right. What he's saying is dividing them up, splitting them up in that way as if a person could have works but no faith and is as if a person could have faith but no works is illegitimate. You can't talk about it. You can't think about it in those terms. He says, go ahead, uh, you guy who, who you just have works and you have no faith. Go ahead and show me your faith without your works. You can't do it. But I will show you my faith by my works. Mine are connected. Mine are related to one another. They're organic. They are connected. So the argument from our passage so far is that faith and works are not alternatives. They are not two separate elements. Faith alone, separated from works, he says here, is useless faith. And he makes that that comment several times down through the passage. Verse 17, verse 20, verse 26, 26. He says in verse 17, he says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then in verse 20, faith apart from works is useless And in verse 26, he calls it dead. So he says, separating it like that, thinking about someone who claims to have faith, but doesn't have a lifestyle that flows from that, that leads to that, that doesn't have the organic outgrowing of deeds, of works in their life, that person, their faith is dead. Their faith is useless. So that is what he's talking about when he's talking about faith in this passage. Right? He's talking about that kind of faith being isolated, being separated. He said, if it's alone, if it's separated from works, if it's not connected there with works, it is a useless faith. So that's the conceptual foundation for what James is arguing. I want to look at two areas where faith without works is useless. Two different areas. The first one, point number two there, faith and works or no benefit. Faith and works or no benefit. Verse 15. As if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the the things needed for the body, what good is that? So a person came to you 
a brother or sister in Christ. They were poorly clothed, you know, it's starting to be wintertime. They don't have a coat. They show up in short sleeves and they don't have uh, they don't have food every day and things like that. They come to you and you say, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And then you don't do anything, right? You have Christian words. You spoke the true things. You were kind to them. You were loving towards them. You showed you showed some kind of compassion, right? You were warm. Maybe you even hugged them, right? Stood and talked to them for a while. And you, you know, you had a little tear in your eye as you were kind of commiserating with them. You encouraged them. And then you sent them on their way. Without having addressed their practical concerns. Without having addressed their practical needs, you had Christian words. But if you send them away without providing for them, what good were your kind words? What good was the tear in your eye or your apparent compassion? See, these people said some good things. They said things they should have said. They showed love and kindness of Christ, or at least they told them about the love and kindness of Christ. James James talks a couple of times about the importance of the tongue. So the way we speak to each other is very important in this book. So they were doing the right thing by speaking kindly, by speaking mercy, by by speaking that way to one another, comforting each other. But it wasn't backed up by anything. They had Christian works, but those works were, excuse me, they had Christian words, but those works were absent Christian works. So they had the words, but no works. They spoke the things, but they didn't do what they should have done. And I wonder how often, maybe on a Sunday morning, we see a lot of people, there's a lot of interaction that goes on on a Sunday morning, and sometimes we get into conversations with one another about painful things that are going on or, or upcoming situations that maybe are, are needful or, uh, or, you know, things like that. And, and, and how often have you said, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you, kind of as a way to end the conversation and move on to the next person, right? And how often do we forget to pray for one thing? I'll pray for you, and then and then never think of it again until the next time you see him and you're like, what was it that person told me that I never did anything about? <laughs> How often do we do that? Volunteer to pray and we don't even pray. How often do you, do you hear a situation like that where someone's telling you something upcoming that's difficult, a hardship that they're facing, something they can't get through or something they're worried about or something like that? How often have you said... Well, how can I help? And then done it. Or how, how often can you say, you know, I think I can help with that thing. And then you give them something besides just advice or a shoulder to cry on, right? Sometimes we just like a shoulder to cry on. And sometimes we do just want a little guidance, a little advice on how to deal with a situation. But a lot of times we need practical help. And we need to be able to work in that person's life in such a way that we show them the mercy and the compassion and the kindness, practically speaking, that they need so that when the brother or sister comes to you and they're hurting and they're hungry, they don't have, you know, all the stuff that they need, that you can actually say, be warmed, be filled, you know, go in peace with my stuff that I sent with you or with my help to solve this problem. But this kind of faith that he's talking about here, so-called faith, if there are Christian words, but there are no Christian works, what kind of a faith is that? That's a rhetorical question that he's asking. It's no kind of faith. It's, it's like the demon's faith, actually. It's a lot like the demon's faith. It does no good. 
Look what he says there. He says in verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So they have right belief. It doesn't help them at all. It has no benefit for them. It's useless. It's dead in their lives. Satan and his demons know as well as you and I do, probably better, that there is only one true God. They know that for a fact. They believe and they know true things about God. They know that for a fact. And yet that kind of belief does them no good. They still shudder in fear of the one true God because they know that they are uh, irreconcilable to Him. They are separated from Him and they will receive His judgment in full. And so they shudder. Their faith doesn't make them right with God in the least. Did you notice it said there, you believe that God is one. Their, their faith that he's talking about here is a faith that, a belief that. It has to do with the context of what they're believing, excuse me, the content of what they're believing. You have faith that God is one and it does you no good. It's not belief in. You see the difference there? Belief that, that's a thing that's true that's out there separate from me. Belief in means I have placed myself under I am relying upon this thing I believe to be true. I believe in it. It's a difference between saying, I, I believe that, you know, uh, our Republican form of government is, uh, is the best form of government. But I never vote. Okay, that, those two things could be true. I believe that, but I don't vote. If I believe in it, I'm going to vote and I'm going to recruit other people to vote and I'm going to try and persuade other people who are voting differently to vote like me. I believe in it. You see the difference? And that's what he's talking about there is that different kind of faith. Their faith has intellectual content and that's important, but their faith is not trusting in God for their life. And so that brings us to James' discussion of faith and works for justification. Faith and works for justification. Now, justification is a theological term. It's also a biblical term, so we can't get away from it, right? You still have to read it, even if you're not big on theology. You read justification, right? Justification is a, is a term that we often use as, as believers. We talk about, we think about justification, or at least we should, about what it means. Uh, it's a biblical term. It's a very crucial biblical term, justification. And the Apostle Paul uses the term justification or justified, justified, etc. He uses it far more than any other writer. Paul himself uses it about 30 times, not quite 30 times. You have, you have it talked about in the Gospels a couple of times, once in the book of Acts, and then Paul, and then three times in our passage right here in James. Right? So Paul kind of sets the tone for what he means by justification. And when we think of justification, we tend to think in terms of what Paul means by that, right? And uh, probably a, the, a best example, maybe, uh, to give us an idea of what Paul means by it is Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. If you're going to memorize a verse, this is a great one to memorize. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a powerful, powerful verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We Christians have peace with God. And that is true only because we have been declared or considered to be righteous before God. And that is only possible because of what Jesus has done and because we have been united with him in faith. That's what Paul means by us being justified. We have been declared to be right before God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and we've been united with Jesus by faith and so he can look at us and say, Jesus' righteousness is applied to you. You have forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus did on your behalf and you are united to Jesus in faith. So that's Paul's idea of justification. We are united uh, uh, with Jesus and therefore we have peace with God. We have been declared to be righteous because of Jesus' perfect record on our behalf and because that record has been applied to us. That's something that happens right at that point of salvation when a person becomes a Christian. And you see that it's by faith. So that's what Paul means when he talks about justification. And he says in, in Romans 5, 1, since we have been justified by faith. And then we turn here to read James talking about justification. And he says in verse 21, and in verse 25, he talks very clearly about it. He gives the example of Abraham in verse 21. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And then down in verse 25, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Right, so verse 21 and verse 25 are identical usages. Right, the person was justified by works when he or she did such and such. Okay, and that translation, that word when, is a little bit of a misnomer. It's, it's a little bit misleading. Okay, having done such and such is a better translation. Was not Abraham justified having offered Isaac his son? Was not Rahab justified having accepted the messengers and sent them out by a different way? Okay, so it's it's a, that that translation is an issue. The word when is uh, it's it's translating a participle. You guys don't care about participles, and most of you don't even care about grammar uh, as much nearly as I do. But it's really important when it comes to this issue because the word when is not in the Greek. The word when is translating a, an aspect of that participle having done such and such, having done such and such, and it's up to the interpreter to understand what that means. I make that distinction because it's important for our conversation. Was Abraham righteous, declared righteous by works? Was he justified by works when he offered up Isaac? And God said, he offered up Isaac, now he's righteous. Or Rahab, when she received the messengers and then sent them out by another way, thereby protecting them, preserving them, preserving the nation of Israel. When she did that, was she justified at that moment when she did that? And God said, pow, justified because you did that thing. No. They were justified having done those things. That's important. 
I'll spell it out in just a second. Verse 24 says it straight out. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Seems like we're getting into deep water because we just read in Romans 5, 1, justified by faith, having been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And James here says we are justified by works, not by faith alone. The difference is Paul is talking about how one enters into the Christian life. That happens by faith and you are declared to be righteous before God because of what Jesus has done. That's how you enter into the Christian life. That is by faith. James is talking about another aspect. James is talking about the end When God is looking back over your life and he wants to render a verdict, were you righteous or were you not? He wants to justify you in a different sense of the term. He's going to look back at life, the example of Abraham, he's going to look and say, do you see what he did with Isaac? Do you see how he did that? Abraham is righteous before me. You see that he did that. The same with Rahab. He's going to look at the end of Rahab's life He's going to look back and and ask the question, okay, was she righteous before me? Does she have the evidence of righteousness in her life? And he's going to look back and he's going to see, do you see what she did there when the spies showed up? She received the spies, she hid the spies, and she sent them to safety. She's righteous. You see the difference? Paul's talking about the inception of the Christian life, how one enters into the Christian life, and it is by faith and faith only. You enter into the Christian life. You're declared to be righteous before God because of what Jesus has done for you. Now at the end of life, God is looking back and he's, he's wanting to see the evidence. He wants to demonstrate that it was indeed so and not just a concept. And so he looks at Abraham and he says, do you see what he did there? That is righteousness. He looks at Rahab and he says, you see what she did there? That is righteousness. And so how... Is God going to justify someone in this sense? He justifies that person by looking back at their life and seeing the evidence, seeing when faith reared its head as works. And so you see that a person is justified in this sense by works and not by faith alone. You see, God standing here and looking over a person's life who just had faith, like we're talking about here, but had no works, he's going to look back and he's going to say, what evidence is there that you were righteous? Did faith ever rear its head in any kind of works? No, it didn't. That faith is dead. And so that's the difference between justification as James talks about it and justification as Paul talks about it. We get confused because it's a big word and they both use it and they seem to do such different things with it. They seem to say such different things about it. But think about terminology in our own lives. Think about ways words can be used in different contexts and how they can mean different things when they're used by different people in different contexts. We do that all the time. We do that all the time. Uh, Nouns can mean different things, right? What's a trunk? What is a trunk? Well, this is your trunk. You have a trunk that you put stuff in, you know, at your house, at the foot of your bed. You have a trunk that's in your car. 
An elephant has a trunk. A tree has a trunk. Which one's a trunk? Well, they're all trunk, right? And so if, if one person is using the word trunk and they're always talking about it and how the trunk was swaying in the breeze and I say, the breeze never affects the trunk at the foot of my bed. You're crazy, right? That's a simple and absurd illustration, but we do that with all kinds of words, including words like justification, being declared righteous. Paul uses it this way, the inception of the Christian life. Justification is by faith. James uses it down here at the end, looking back over and looking for evidence. And he's looking for works. God is looking for works. When did faith rear its head? And so that's how they're using it differently. And so that's how Paul can say, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were justified by faith. We were brought into peace with God. And that's how we can read all over here in James when he says, like in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. God's standing here looking back over the life and saying, when did faith rear its head? If he sees nothing, he's going to say that faith was dead. It accomplished nothing. It never showed itself in, uh, in works. It never showed itself in obedience. It never became concrete like it did for Abraham when he sacrificed or offered Isaac and like it did for Rahab when she protected the spies. Their faith was at work. It brings us to our second aspect of this, justification in James. We looked at that, and his point is that real faith works. Real faith works. We said earlier that faith and works are not alternative ways to be right with God. We should also be careful to note that they are not two separate elements or ingredients that need to be added together to make someone acceptable before God. They're not separate. They're not separate elements. It's not as if yeah, Abraham had faith and it wasn't doing him any good, but then when he added works to it, all right, well, now he's got the right combo. Now it's going to work for him. No, it's not, it's not faith awaiting the addition of works. It's a kind of faith that works. It works itself out. There is another kind of faith that does not work itself out, like the demons have, or like the guy had who sent away the, the hungry and thirsty and cold Christian. It's a faith that's dead. It's by itself. It will never yield any kind of works because it's a dead faith. It's a distant, cold belief that something instead of a living faith in. Unlike mere intellectual assent or this false kind of faith that we've been reading about, which James calls useless and dead, true faith will, will result in obedience to God. Good works will show up in the life of the person who has true faith. Or as he says in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with Abraham's works. Abraham believed God, and so he was willing to offer up Isaac. He believed God, so he acted accordingly. Real faith, living faith works. He talks about faith getting accomplished. He says there in 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Abraham's faith was completed by his works. It's not that he had faith and then he needed to add another element or another ingredient to it to make it complete, to make it acceptable, to make himself acceptable toward God. 
faith that is true and real with re- will result in good works of obedience towards God. Those works are the intended result of true faith. The intended result. That's how faith was being completed by works. Because those works were the intended result. And this shouldn't surprise us, by the way. On Communion Sundays, we often read uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's a purpose and a goal for what he did. It's that we would die to sin and that we would live to righteousness. Or Paul himself says in Titus chapter 2, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He did that to save a people for himself who would be zealous. He wanted them to be zealous. He saved them so that they would be for the purpose that they would be zealous for good works. That's the intended outcome, the intended result of the faith. Faith gets completed. It reaches reaches its intended result in our good works of obedience toward God. We started our discussion today by asking with James, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Our answer is simple. No, it can't. James finishes the chapter with verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Like a body without a spirit, so also faith that doesn't have works is dead. Can accomplish nothing. So that brings us to a couple of points of application here in conclusion. The first point of application is from Paul. What are you counting on to make yourself right with God? What are you counting on to have peace with God. The only way you can have peace with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Your only hope is Jesus, so put your trust in Him. The second point of application is from James. Do you believe true things about God, but it hasn't caused you to walk in obedience to God? You need to know that faith is more than holding something to be true in your head. It involves a submission of your whole life to that truth. It involves a submission of your whole life to Jesus himself as your Lord. That's what true faith is. Submit to him. Submit to him. Martin Luther was writing in his preface to his commentary on Romans, and he says this. He says, Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and and for good works. 
but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. It's a mighty, living, active thing. It's not just faith about. It's faith in and submission to. Thirdly, I'm struck when I read this passage with all of its theology about justification, with all of its grammar that's so fascinating, with all, with all the power that is in this passage and talking about faith being without works, I'm struck by the example he gives of lack of works. If a needy Christian comes to you and you send him away without having taken care of him, that's the example that he gives of faith being without works. That's powerful to me. I would think he would give the example of, you know, what if Abraham had not offered up Isaac or something like that? What if, what if Rahab had not, had not secured, you know, and taken care of the, the, the messengers? What, what, what then? No, the example he gives is practical, daily, Christian life stuff. Are we taking care of one another? Are we loving one another? Let's take care of one another. The resources that we have are really God's resources. We are stewards of them. And he, the, those resources that we have, they are kingdom resources. Let's use them to take care of, provide for, look out for others within the kingdom. And let's take care of one another even at the cost of personal sacrifice. After all, Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word that guides us. It helps us understand tricky things. Helps us understand how Paul can say that justification is by faith and how James can say that justification is by works and not by faith alone. It's important that we understand. It's important for me to understand both. It's important for me to to see that faith is a living, active, powerful, doing thing. I pray this morning as we uh, conclude our time, I pray, Lord, that anyone here who does not know you, maybe they're trusting in, in uh, their works or maybe they're trusting that you will just be forgiving or, or maybe they're really hoping that you just don't exist. I pray that you would confront them with yourself and you would draw them to yourself and that, that with with Paul in Romans 5, that they would be able to be justified by faith and have peace with you because of Jesus. Pray that you would do that. And if, if there's anyone here who believes true things about you, but holds them at a distance and does not submit to you, does not submit to those truths, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would see you as Lord, that they would come and submit to you, that they would find salvation in Christ and not have uh, faith, not have belief like these demons that believed very true things and it did them no good and they still stood with their knees knocking. I pray that you would save 
people this morning. I pray that you would draw people to yourself this morning. And I pray that you would help each of us to love one another the way Jesus loved us. That we would take care of each other's needs. That I would be willing to go out of my way and even sacrifice personally to do that. I pray that you, Lord, would uh, lead us in that. Lord, I pray that our faith would show itself often, would reveal itself repeatedly. And I look around this room and I see faith showing itself often. And I see evidence all over that God is going to point to as justification in James's sense. Lord, we submit to you this morning. We, we trust you. We look to you. We look forward to what you have for us this week. Help us in our faith this week. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God bless you, and you are dismissed.